Hello, and welcome to the Bitcoin Butlers podcast. I am Mike Watkins, and I have with me, as always, my good friend and business partner, Matt Burke. Hello. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks. Um, that was uh, Joe Alterman on the piano. If you like that intro music, uh, check Joe Alterman out on Apple Music, Spotify, anywhere you get your music. He's one of the greatest piano players around, and uh, we are honored to have him putting his music on our show. Um so I'm really excited about tonight's uh, episode about inheritance planning. Um, before we get into that, um, I'm going to recap the five best practices. So the best practices for Bitcoin owners are, one, buy your Bitcoin from a reputable exchange. Number two, store your Bitcoin in a multi-sig wallet. Three, create a strong inheritance plan. Four, run your own node on the Bitcoin network. And number five, maintain your plan at least annually. And tonight we are going to talk about best practice number three, which is to create a strong inheritance plan. And I don't think there's any part of the Bitcoin ecosystem that is as underdeveloped and less implemented than inheritance planning. And many in the Bitcoin community talk about Bitcoin being a multi-generational asset, but in reality, so few are doing anything to make it that way. In other words, people are not accounting for what happens to their Bitcoin after they are no longer here. That's right. And the problem is, is if you store your Bitcoin correctly and you do all the things you're supposed to do while you're alive, it also means that when you pass away, your Bitcoin is going to go with you, that your, your family, your heirs will not be able to retrieve it unlike other analog assets. For sure. And, you know, I always think about and I tell the story a lot when we talk to people about this. When we went down to the Bitcoin conference in Miami last year, we made a point of talking to people that I would consider experts in the space about uh, what we are considering best practices and buying it and storing it. I would say people had uh, a pretty good handle on. But when we got to number three and the question of you know, what have you done so that your family can get to your Bitcoin if you die? Uh, pretty much everybody didn't have a good answer. Um, and it wasn't even just Bitcoin. It was, you know, where do you store your will or some of the just most basic estate planning concepts um, are just things that people don't like to think about, uh, much less, you know, really create a strong plan around. Absolutely. And actually at the Bitcoin conference, I can only think of one person that had a real plan in place and he was not a thought leader in the Bitcoin community. He was just a guy that liked Bitcoin and brought his wife and son right. down there to Miami just for some fun. But uh, that was the only person that actually had thought this through and actually had implemented something where he could pass his, his Bitcoin on to his heirs when he eventually passes away. Mm -hmm. I thought that was, I thought it was, I wasn't surprised that nobody had this play. I wasn't surprised that many people didn't have something in place, but I was surprised that it was almost nobody. And I think there are a number of reasons for that. I think that it's difficult to focus on what happens to your assets after you pass away. I think a lot of people think about the the immediate time frame. what do I do with my assets now while I'm alive? How do I manage things from day to day? 
But when, when we did bring this up to people and we brought it to many people since then, we realized that people that were pretty sophisticated, people that had written books, people that, that host podcasts and, and get into really, really go deep down the Bitcoin rabbit hole really hadn't implemented anything. And when we looked at the space in general, meaning what's out there in the Bitcoin world that talks about inheritance planning and estate planning and how you pass on your Bitcoin if you're using a strong uh, storage solution to your heirs, there was very, very, very little information out there. Yeah, that's 100% correct. And the other thing is that it wasn't like people were like, that's not something I need to worry about. Uh, pretty much to a person, the answer is like, oh, yeah, that's something I really need to do a better job of putting in place. So I think that there's been recognition that it's an important thing to do. Um, but I also think that there's a big psychological barrier to inheritance and estate planning in general. It's just it's a morbid topic. People don't like to think about it. Um, they procrastinate in this area. It's just how um, how human nature works. It's just you put off things that, you know, aren't going to be pleasurable to deal with. And, um, and I think that's a lot of what you see going on here. I agree. And I think it's one of those things that if you put a really good plan in place, you're never going to use it by its, by its very design. You're not supposed to be using it. It, it only gets implemented when you're not here to use it. Right. It only benefits people other than you. Exactly. And let's not let's not kid ourselves that putting a robust inheritance plan in place is not a lot of fun. There are a lot of things I'd rather be doing rather than listing out all my assets and trying to figure out single points of failures and accounting for different contingencies. So, you know, there are things that you can do. I'll just say like people like to watch the Bitcoin chart. They like to watch the you know Bitcoin number go up or go down, whatever the day may be. But I would add to that, though, that I understand why people are, are hesitant to do this, why people want to delay it. I, I'm, I was one of those people. You know, sure. I, I had um, to redo my will once I started owning Bitcoin and once I thought through all these things. And when I did that, I was a little embarrassed by how outdated my will was. Well, and, and two things I'll say there. One is that, for anybody who's listening, don't be embarrassed. You know, this is something that, and we say this, you know, when we talk about inheritance planning, if you are currently alive, it is not too late to put this plan in place. And so, you know, I admit as well that my stuff was not in the order it should have been, especially once I started owning Bitcoin. Um, and so a lot of why we came up with this was really to help our own families um, in the process of helping other people. And so um, I think we, uh, we take that seriously because we realize that we're putting something in place that's going to help people make sure that their families are able to, uh, to get what they need after you know, something tragic happens. Absolutely. And there's also something that, that I think I got from it, even though I'm not using the plan, I feel so much more comfortable knowing that I've accounted for all the contingencies I could really think of to help protect my family and provide for my family 
when I'm no longer here to help them do that. So even though I'm not, even though I'm not using parts of the plan and I'm not going to be a direct beneficiary of the plan, I hopefully have a long time between now and the time I pass away. And there is a good feeling that you get. And I also say that my wife is really happy that we have this plan in place. Mm -hmm. It brings peace of mind. It definitely does. And, and peace of mind, you know, if peace of mind helps you sleep 10% better every night and you get that for 365 days a year for 50 plus years, there's quite a bit that you do get out of it. And also with the inheritance planning, once you have it in place and you have the initial setup done, maintaining it each year is very simple. It's not particularly taxing. So you can put out the work early on and still benefit from it for 40, 50 years with very minimal maintenance over that time period. Mm -hmm. So with that, let's move on to the two, what I consider to be the two critical needs of inheritance planning. Mm -hmm. One is ensuring that your heirs will be able to access your assets. And two is ensuring that your assets are distributed in the manner that you want. And each of those requires or has a specific set of challenges. So I'm going to ask you, Matt, what, what you think some of the challenges are to making sure that your heirs are able to access your digital assets and your Bitcoin. Okay. So, you know, first of all, if you've already um, performed best practice number one and two, which is to buy your Bitcoin on a reputable exchange and then move it to multi-sig storage, moving it to multi-sig storage um, really does give you a big advantage when it comes to inheritance planning for a number of reasons. Um, but I would say that, you know, having redundancies in place as opposed to single points of failure um, when it comes to where your Bitcoin is being stored uh, really addresses a lot of the challenges that, that you would face um, that I would call ordinary challenges. And, you know, one thing that I think we'll get into a little bit tonight is that there are going to be cases that are not uncommon um, or maybe not, I wouldn't say not uncommon, but that because you hear about them, but in the scheme of all the things that can happen, the chances of certain things going wrong or very badly, um, you know, are things you need to think about, but in my mind, you don't need to obsess over them. So, you know, the, you're never going to have a completely foolproof solution. Um, there's always a chance that something can go wrong. Um, I mean, what do you think are some of those challenges? Well, I think that to understand this better, I would run through different places you'd store your Bitcoin and address the challenge of each. So the first place you can store your Bitcoin is on an exchange. I don't even know if I'd call that storing your Bitcoin on an exchange. I, I don't really consider that to be really owning Bitcoin. It's a Bitcoin IOU. But in reality, if you have your Bitcoin on a trusted exchange, then your heirs would be able to access that Bitcoin much easier than they would be able to access it if you used multi-sig 
a multi-sig wall or a multi-sig security. So there, there is a scenario where that might be the best choice for someone. I don't, you know, different people have different things that they care about. I certainly would never recommend that because I think that, like I said before, keeping your Bitcoin on an exchange is just a non-starter. So the next step up from that would be to keep your Bitcoin on, on a hot wallet on your phone. Mm. And that's certainly a step up from, from keeping it on an exchange. And it would be, it would be easier for your heirs to get to it on your phone than it would be for them to get to a multi-sig solution. But I think that if you're going to clear the hurdles for them to be able to, to open up your phone with a password to your phone, open up your hot wallet on your phone with all the security that's on there. And keep in mind, it may be using multi-factor authentication. So it's not simple to get on a hot wallet on someone's phone. If you're going to have to go through those steps, I think you may as well just go with multi-sig. Now, of course, in between, you also have to store it on a single hardware device. We went over that in the last episode of why that's not a great idea, but it is an idea. And, and actually, I think that storing your Bitcoin on a single device is potentially more difficult for your heirs to get to than multi-sig. And I also don't like some of the other security things around it. So I would agree with that. And, and I think where that really comes into play is that some of the additional precautions you would take with a single hardware key um, increase the risk that those uh, assets are harder to, to retrieve. And, you know, we talk about you've got kind of this balance that you're always trying to strike between risk and convenience. And uh, the way I see a single device is that you can make it to where the risk is lower, but it's so inconvenient to get to that and set it up. And I'm talking about, you know, if you're using passphrases and you have hidden wallets within your single device and, you know, we're getting into some stuff that doesn't really apply, but, you know, there are, there are solutions that, in theory might be, they might sound like they're good solutions, but really all you're doing is tipping the scales in one direction or the other when it comes to risk versus convenience. So for me, multi-sig strikes that right balance because it may be less convenient than a single device that has everything on it, but it's not that much less convenient, but it's significantly less risky. Yeah, I you know, I'm I'm really not a fan of the single device and when you understand the multi-sig solutions and realize that you're likely to have a company like Casa or Unchained behind you, it gives you a lot more flexibility and Unchained and Casa I believe are both have some kind of they call it an inheritance plan. I think it's more of a setting up a beneficiary. Mm-hmm. So there's a plan you can get on Casa. It is their most expensive plan, but you can set up a beneficiary you can actually have that beneficiary on the account. So there are some things that you can do with some of the more sophisticated multi-sig security that will actually make it easier for your heirs to get to your Bitcoin and have it more protected. It's one of those weird things where you actually have increased security and increased convenience. And because of that, the the single hardware wallet solution to me is, is also 
should be rarely used. I really can't think of a lot of use cases where that would be a, a solution that I would recommend at all. Well, the, and, you know, one thing to mention there with the Casa solution, which, look, if, if you have a lot of Bitcoin and you want to keep it secure and you want strong inheritance planning, Casa has a high level plan that is easy to use. It really reduces your risk. The trade-off is that it's expensive compared to other solutions. So that's a consideration too. And it gets to a point where if you have a certain amount of assets, um, you know, the relative cost of securing those assets um, goes way down um, based on how much, you know, it's costing you to store in that setup versus how much you have. Uh, so there are certain breaking points where, you know, it might or might not make sense to, to pay for that extra service, but for a lot of people, it's worth it. I agree. It, it, you know, everyone, one of the things I think is important to mention up front with inheritance planning is how it differs from the first two best practices. So for best practice, number one, buy from a reputable exchange with the exception of some use cases that we don't need to get into that solution is going to work for 99 plus percent of the population for the people who want to get into Bitcoin. It just, that's easy for for how to store your Bitcoin, it gets a little bit more complicated because you've got a couple of things to choose from. You know, I don't want to get into all the different options, but even just between Unchained and Casa, there are a number of different options that you may choose. And for different people and their needs, different solutions are best. I think we talked about that last time that there's some things where you prefer Unchained and some things where you prefer Casa. It just mm -hmm. depends on your needs. But the overall solution of just putting your Bitcoin in multi-sig is really a no-brainer. Gets you a lot of the way there when it comes to some of the uh, inheritance planning things that we're talking about here. Agreed. But, but here's where things get complicated. Inheritance planning is so unique to each individual family that... I'm sure I understand. <laughs> that was Siri. Didn't like something. So um, it, it, it really is unique to each individual family. You know, the, the, your age, the age of your children, the family dynamics in your family. Do your children get along? Does your, maybe you're remarried. Does your new wife get along with your children? Do your children like your new wife? And, and that really complicates the situation. You know, someone with very young children will will have to put a different plan in place than someone with, you know, people who have children of their own, right? Sure. So, if you're a grandparent, that's a way different plan than if you have a toddler. Um, and there's also, you know, every kid is different. So, you know, depending on the family, you might have, in some cases, you might have a 17-year-old who's unbelievably capable and able to, you know, execute complex instructions uh, without much problem. And you might have a 17 year old who, you know, can barely tie his shoes. So it's, mm -hmm. uh, it, there's a wide range of, of personality types and behaviors and habits and, you know, all of these things that you have to take into account so that you're planning around, you know, the actual beneficiaries of these assets, not, there's no cookie cutter to this. 
There is definitely no cookie cutter to this. And there are lots of factors that you need to consider. We certainly can't get into all of those right now, although we're going to do, you know, we, we drew up a guide for the 14 steps for sovereign inheritance planning, and we will do shows on those too. And I think we, we will get into some of those things at a more deep level. But I think for, for this, I think people just need to think about the fact that whatever solution they implement they need to make sure that their heirs, and they know their heirs better than anybody else knows their heirs, that their heirs will be able to access their Bitcoin, that whatever solution they put in there, that they think this will work and that it will not be too complicated or too cumbersome or, or have any other risks that, that I can't name right now based on their family dynamics. Well, by the way, you don't want it to be too complicated and you also don't want it to be too easy course although if you implement a multi-sig solution and unless you store all your keys in the same spot it's it's going to be um it's going to be challenging for anybody to uh to get to without permission yeah so now we get to the if that wasn't uh complicated enough now we get to the really difficult part of inheritance planning, which is ensuring that your assets are distributed according to your wishes. And this deviates quite a bit from what I'm going to call the analog world, where you're going to have an executor in place or trust in place, and there's a distribution plan for your assets. Although when you think through this, there are still a number of risks that I'm going to call in the analog world. Uh, that are also going to be in the digital or Bitcoin world. So with that, Matt, I'm going to ask you that question of what you think some of the challenges are to ensuring that your assets are distributed according to your wishes. So my first answer is that because you're gone when these assets get distributed, you have no way of knowing if your plan is going to be executed properly or not. So all you can do is plan around the most likely scenarios and the most likely challenges that you think you would face based on your family. And, you know, you're not, there's no such thing as, as a perfect plan. We've said this about other things. Same thing with multi-sig perfection is a myth and you can't let the perfect get in the way of the good, or in this case, maybe even the great. And so I think that, you know, there are risks that come into play for everybody who are, you know, if they're trying to come up with a plan on how to distribute Bitcoin to their heirs after they die. Um, you know, there are countless stories within, you know, different families where people, you know, heirs get uh, get attached to certain things that they decide that they want and they don't really care what the will says. And that's something that, you know, is very hard to navigate around. Um, one of the things that, that I think we've addressed here is the fact that we want to make it so that in order for there to be a problem with your heirs receiving your Bitcoin in accordance with your wishes, you would have to have at least two bad actors colluding against one of the other people involved in order for that to happen. So I think the first thing is that we have this concept of trusted people. And 
Um, and, and like you said, we, we have come up with what we're calling a sovereign inheritance plan. Um, and that is the ability to create a roadmap for your heirs um, so that they can access your assets and they can be distributed how you want them to. Um, and part of that, it, which where it differs from a traditional estate plan where you basically have a will and an executor or a trust and a trustee. Um, in this case, you have identified somebody that is either a family member or a friend that you would consider like a family member, um, somebody that you trust implicitly um, that can help kind of be one of the pieces to the puzzle when something happens to you and your heirs are trying to figure out what to do. Yeah, that trusted person is really key to ensuring that your assets are distributed correctly. Actually, that trusted person is key to making sure your heirs get access to the assets and to the distribution of them. I'd like to, I'd like to bring up something that I think is one of the challenges that now, you and I have discussed before, which is in a traditional retirement setup, you would have an executor and the executor is going to distribute the assets to the different heirs. And usually the probate court is involved and the probate court will essentially give permission for the assets to be distributed in this way. But there really is nothing preventing one of the heirs from taking all the money. And I mean this in a, I'm not talking about Bitcoin. I'm just talking about in a regular situation. If you have the executor there and the executor is able to write checks out of the account, things happen. People have the, the idea of one heir cheating the other heir out or, or one heir cheating several heirs out of inheritance is a story as old as the Bible, really. Right. Right. So this has been going on since the beginning of man. So when we are talking about how we do this with Bitcoin, and we put in a really robust solution, a solution which I think a lot of times will, will get you to like 99.99% secure, or maybe 99.999%, you know, sort of uh, a case where one out of 10,000, something might go wrong, or maybe you can bump it up to, you know, one out of 100,000 where things will go wrong. Uh, you just don't know. But I will say that that plan being in place is certainly going to put people's entire estate in a much better position, whether they own, you know, $10,000 worth of Bitcoin or $10 million worth of Bitcoin. So the, the challenges is two things. The challenges are there, whether you own Bitcoin or not, but because of the fact that you own Bitcoin and because of the fact that you're implementing something much more significant, I actually think it, it, it improves the overall security of your state and the distribution of your assets. Absolutely. Um, it does create a better plan for both your non-digital and digital assets if done properly. Um, and maybe let's talk just a little bit about, you know, if we, if you have this idea of a trusted person, what does that person, what do they need to do? And what are, what are they, um, what information are they holding that, they're going to need to kind of bring to the table when, when the time comes. Mm -hmm. So, so let's talk about a traditional scenario and things that we know are very common. So usually if somebody wants a will, they're going to go to an attorney, a state attorney, and that attorney is going to draft a will for them and help them execute the will correctly. 
the and many times that attorney may be the one that's actually holding the will long term, which we we do think is a mistake. But one of the things that we created was this concept of a trusted person. And what that is, is that that is a very close friend, a family member, someone that you trust implicitly. You know, there some people may have five, 10 people in their life that they trust implicitly. Some people may, may have trouble finding one person that they trust implicitly. And there are things we can do if that's the case. But usually people will have one or two people, whether it's a relative or a close friend that they can trust with their documents. And what they're going to do is they're going to give that person a number of their estate documents and a number of what I'm going to call keys to unlock other parts of their estate. Some of that's going to be pieces of the puzzle. Right. Well, I think we, I think the term we've used before is, is a roadmap that part of the estate planning process is to create a roadmap for your heirs to follow. And then we're going to give this trusted person certain pieces to plug into that puzzle to help make it so that someone will have access. And so what do we mean by that? Well, your, your trusted person will have a copy of your will and we'll go into why that's important in a little bit. They're usually going to have the password to your computer. Mm-hmm. They're going to have the password to your phone. Often they're going to have the way to get into your password manager. And all these documents will be stored in a tamper evident bag with your trusted person. That's very important to bring up. Meaning your trusted person is just going to hold on to this bag with documents in it for you. And that bag has a unique serial number on it. That bag cannot be opened without being damaged. And you will be going back to your trusted people from time to time, whether it's every year, or every two years, and swapping out that bag for another one with a new unique serial number. So there is a bit of game theory going on here where your trusted person is, is going to have to prove they're still trustworthy in the future. Mm-hmm. And if for any reason your trusted person goes from being trustworthy to non-trustworthy, you can also turn that off pretty easily. And we can also get into that in a bit. But the idea is that you have this trusted person and this person should be someone that that you think really cares about your family, cares about your wife or your spouse, cares about your children. And if something or when something eventually does happen to you, unlike an attorney, your trusted person knows your family and what and knows you and is going to be there to help your family through this process. Well, the other thing with that is the key was that they know your family. And, you know, we also talk about the fact that most of the time, um, if you're a married couple, uh, you're planning around what happens if one spouse or the other passes away. Um, in the rare instance and obviously tragic instance where the spouse, both spouses pass away simultaneously, um, it really can create some, some nightmare scenarios where people are really scrambling to, to figure out what's going on. And I, I find this a lot when I talk to just friends of mine and cause I, you know, I do informal surveys of all my friends on this stuff now that I'm starting to take a bigger interest in it. And most of my friends that I speak to um, will say, yeah, if something happened to me, 
my wife could get to it. My husband could get to it. Um, they know where the things are. They have access to the different accounts. Um, and then the next question I ask is, okay, well, what happens if God forbid something happens to you both at the same time? And the general answer is, Ooh, that's not going to be good. And, you know, while you don't want, again, these are morbid topics. Nobody wants to think about it. And while it's not the most likely scenario, it is a scenario that can really throw a wrench in things if it happens and you're not ready for it. So I, I think that, that that's, you know, a key part of this is that you're never going to plan for every contingency, but you want to make sure that there's somebody there. If you and your spouse are gone, that will care about your family. Number one, like you said, but the other thing is that if you had an attorney that did your will 15 years ago, they might not even be practicing law anymore, much less be at the same firm. You know, something could have happened to that attorney. Plus, your kids aren't going to know necessarily who your attorney is. And that attorney is not going to know that you died. Whoever your trusted person is, whether it's your sibling or your first cousin or your best friend from high school that you've known for 40 years, um, they're going to know when this tragedy strikes and they're going to be right there to help your family through it. Yes. And, and the other thing about your trusted person, which I'd like to circle back to now is that your trusted person may change over time. You may add another trusted person. So the, the trusted people really do play this, this very critical role in, in both your heirs being able to access your Bitcoin and on the distribution side. And there are even things that you can do where you can give your, your trusted person a key and give one of your heirs another key. And the two would have to work together in order to send it somewhere. So I, I think it's worth bringing up the distribution problems or the problem that we see that <clears throat> there really is no perfect solution for. And we, we touched on this a bit earlier, but what happens for a scenario like this? You have two children and you, uh, you, I'll take my situation, even though my wife is still alive. Um, I'm, my wife has passed away. It's just me and my two children. And I want my Bitcoin to be evenly distributed between the two of them. And I have, uh, I have a Casa two of three solution. I have one key in my home safe. And I have one key with my trusted person. And of course, with the Casa solution, my phone is also a key. So it's possible that I could pass away and my trusted person would give the envelope to my, my children that they're supposed to give them. And it's possible that, that one of my kids could take the key that's in the safe and the key that's on my phone that they would now have access to, and they could send that off somewhere and leave out their brother or sister. Mm -hmm. And while that has been possible in the analog or fiat world in the past, 
I think it's a lot easier with Bitcoin to do that. Absolutely. Um, it's easier to do it with Bitcoin and it's harder to get it back with Bitcoin. That's the problem. It's easier to do and harder to get it back. I, I couldn't agree with that more. With that, it sounds like when you're discussing this, that there's so many security holes and that you'll never be able to put something in place that's a, a, a strong and robust solution. And I think we've been discussing a lot of the negatives, but I think it's also worth discussing some of the positives of having this kind of plan in place. And so I know you and I were, were talking uh, last week about what happens when everything goes right. Because we spend a lot of our time trying to find you know, weaknesses, trying to find mm -hmm. spots that need to be addressed. We rarely talk about what the situation looks like when things go right. And I do think that's worth mentioning. Absolutely. That's, that's uh, you know, like you said, 99 point something percent of the time, if you have the plan set up properly, it'll work. It'll also make it easier for your heirs. I mean, your heirs are going to be, you know, a, a death of a loved one is a really taxing and troubling time. And it's, it's quite sad to see people who are, are grieving and, and when that, you know, let's just say a week after, you know, the, the death of a loved one, now they have to go on this like scavenger hunt of sorts <laughs> to try to get to their assets. In many cases, people don't even know what assets the loved one had. They know they had a bank account. They know they probably had, maybe they had life insurance. Maybe they had some kind of stock investing account, but we, I, I know we have a mutual friend whose father was very successful, had money in all different kinds of places, and I don't know if they've recovered all of it. It took them months and months to try and track down all the places where he had accounts. Yeah, they were, they were working on it for months, and uh, to my knowledge, they're still working on bits and pieces of it. And it was the type of situation where things were just scattered all over the place. That, you know, he, This was somebody who had been investing in different things for decades and, you know, maybe had some little life insurance policy here or some annuity over there or some brokerage account here. You know, it was, uh, it was definitely a treasure hunt to try to figure out where the assets were. And the reality is that if they had had a plan like this in place before he passed away, um, it probably would have taken them a number of days or hours even to get access to everything as opposed to the months that it actually took them to do it. Hmm. Well, I have this vision called of how it's supposed to work if this plan is implemented correctly. And the way it would work is that your loved one will unfortunately pass away. I'm going to say in this situation, I'm going to be, I'm going to pass away. And then one of my trusted people is going to know about it because they're very close friends of mine. They're going to be at all the different events for grieving, assuming they live in the same city. And, and with that, they will see my wife and they will say, you know, um, Michael left me with, you know, a package of information, even though my wife will know that, that it's there. And you'll tell her, I'm here to help you. The trusted person will say, I'm here to help you. 
And they've got different documents there and different ways to help my wife get to my assets. And then depending on what distribution plan I have in place, helping my wife distribute those assets. So your trusted person doesn't just hold the documents for you. I think they also provide comfort and they're also going to provide some guidance and aid to your loved ones. And that's a very stark contrast from your loved ones still grieving and having to run around and be, be, you know, anxious about what they're getting or not getting. And I don't mean what they're receiving, just what assets they know are there or not there. They've got to track them down. And I think it's a horrible, just really think it's a horrible situation and it could be remedied with 30 minutes worth of work by planning in advance. But, but going back to the trusted person, that trusted person is really there to uh, provide aid, comfort, and assistance. And so my wife would receive the support from the trusted person. She wouldn't be chasing down my account. She would know every single account I have, how to get into every single account. And she would have a whole plan on how to retrieve the keys for my Bitcoin and how to transfer that to her if that's what she chooses to do. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, again, without getting into all the steps of the sovereign inheritance plan, I think a couple of other key points of it, though, that that kind of play into this are, you know, using things like a password manager that can be you know shared um, to be able to get into certain things online. Um, also, uh, using a multi-factor authentication device um, or software that can be used across devices so that, uh, you know, you're not locked out of an account because you don't have the authenticator set up properly. So there are all these other things that don't just have to do with a trusted person, um, but that are part of this roadmap that really, you know, when, when this happens, it's supposed to be a time for you to, you know, to be focused on grieving and being there for your, you know, for your surviving family and, and all of that. And the, the added stress of worrying about where things are, how am I going to, you know, get by financially? Um, you know, even, even if somebody does have life insurance, that doesn't come, come through, you know, the next day, um, you need to be able to, 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 get on with your life to some extent while you're going through this process. So all of these are things that, you know, we think you can put in place that, uh, that, that make that possible. Certainly. And, and, you know, this is a very, very, we're speaking kind of more in theory right now, I think in a lot of ways, because this is a very deep subject. I mean, there's no way we can cover the entire inheritance plan that we have created in, in a single podcast episode. It's, it's, it's far too deep. There are far too many parts to it, but this is more about just the general concept and, and, and not to, to get people kind of freaked out that it's, you know, if they don't do everything the way they're supposed to do it, that no one's ever going to be able to get to it. Or then there, there is no perfect solution. The reality here is that putting a, strong inheritance plan in place really is not that difficult. It, it may seem a bit overwhelming at first, but it's really not that difficult. And once it's in place, you really will have some great peace of mind that 
your family's got a great roadmap. They've got someone there or some people there that are going to help them. So they're not scrambling around trying to figure it out. And the reality is, is that a strong plan like this being put in place will certainly do a much, much better job of making sure that your heirs are able to access your Bitcoin and all of your other assets. Anything, a stamp collection, right. gold coins, it doesn't matter. It, and even to the point where if you don't own Bitcoin, um, this is still a better plan to have in place than your traditional estate plan. And you're going to be better off. Even if you don't do every single step that we recommend you do to set this plan up, even if you do just a few of them, um, you're going to be significantly better. And without jumping ahead to, uh, to best practice number five, you know, a couple of things that I think are worth mentioning and, you know, and again, not to dwell on the negative aspects of it or the risk associated with, with some of these things. I also think that, you know, a key to this is just making sure that you are keeping it up to date in a way that is accounting for changes that you should be aware of. And by that, I mean, you know, there's, there are the changes that will always be required that you would, you know, also need to make a change to your will. Somebody is born, somebody dies, there's a marriage, a divorce, a grandchild born, whatever it is, life-changing events that would change your family dynamic, um, you know, will warrant a change not only in your will potentially, but also in this plan. Um, but the other thing there is that, you know, when it comes to trusted people and when it comes to your, to your family, um, you know, you want to know what's going on in their lives too, because I think the way that trusted people stay trusted is that you know what's going on and, you know, things happen in life. Uh, people have, you know, addiction problems, gambling problems. They have children that have, um, you know, come on hard times and are looking for uh, easy ways to, to do bad things. And so, you know, again, these are not the, the things that happen all the time or that everyone should expect to happen, but it's also um, the type of thing where if you're in tune to it and you're thinking about it in the back of your mind as a possibility, um, you set yourself up for, you know, kind of uh, preempting it before it becomes a problem. I completely agree. Uh, so I'm going to go back to how this fits into the best practices. So once again, to reiterate, we have best practice number one, which is buy from a reputable exchange. We have best practice number two, which is to store in multi-sig. In other words, put it in really strong security. And but then we have best practice number three, which is make sure you have an inheritance plan in place. Because if you do not, your Bitcoin may die with you. So besides for the specifics of the plan and, and how we accomplish that, it's, it's the concept that if you do not put an inheritance plan in place, that there is a very real chance that your family will not be able to access your Bitcoin when you are gone. And I think the, one of the most famous stories about this is Matthew Mellon, Mm -hmm. who died with, I think at the time it was around $500 million in crypto. I don't even know what the crypto was. I think it was Ripple, but yeah, it was, it was 
one of those situations where you had a guy that had a lot of cryptocurrency that was worth a lot of money and uh, didn't leave the keys in a place where they could be found. And he died unexpectedly and his family lost out on that. And they're very, very likely to never get it again. So I think that the, the one of the big takeaways that I would like for people to have that I think we can make pretty simple is that you have to account for what, what is going to happen to your assets when you eventually pass away. And when you are holding Bitcoin or other digital assets, there isn't an 800 number to call at the bank. There isn't someone to get in touch with at the life insurance company where you where they're used to people jumping through certain hoops when you are dealing with sovereign assets and you have full control over them if you don't put something in place your family will get nothing very often that's right um i I think one of the other things that that we've talked about which is just you know a little idea that that i i find interesting is that um you know for anyone who's read the Bitcoin standard, um, or if you haven't read the Bitcoin standard, you should. Um, but one of the things that you learn about in that book, um, is the concept of time preference and that, um, you have this idea that if you have a very high time preference, you want things to come to you as quickly as possible. And if you have a lower time preference, um, that means that you're willing to wait, uh, because you think something will be more valuable if it's given to you in the future. And, you know, we've had this discussion a number of times that, you know, this is low time preference activity. And if you kind of buy into the idea of what Bitcoin means from somewhat of a philosophical standpoint, you know, this is the ultimate low time preference and making sure that your heirs get access to something that you may not ever get to use um, is really you know, putting value on the future and, and kind of delaying that gratification, not even for yourself, for someone else that you care about. Well said, very well said. So with that, Matt, I think we could wrap this one up unless you've got anything else. I think I'm about done. I don't know about you, but, uh, well, we're, yeah, we, think- we, <laughs> We're going to go into this topic uh, much, much more in depth when we have the podcast for the Sovereign Inheritance Plan. And that's going to take uh, what we're trying to do in, in an hour or less here. That's probably going to take, I don't know, 15 to 20 hours of discussion. It, it's a lot. Um, but, you know, in the meantime, um, we do have the Sovereign Inheritance Planning Guide up on our website at btcbutlers.com. Um, everyone is welcome to to read it, digest it, ask us questions about it. Um, you can find us on Twitter, BTC Butlers. Um, like I said, our website, btcbutlers.com. You can email us, info at btcbutlers.com um, or DM on Twitter will work as well. Um, but uh, for now, let's uh, let's stop talking about uh, inheritance planning. And then next week, we'll get into uh, running a node which is a lot less morbid. Correct. And really cool. Really, really cool. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that one. All right, Matt. Thank, Thank you very much. Be well.
Bye. Bye.